join me for the prayer of illumination. Father in heaven, we feel your presence in this place. We pray that you would lead us in this message, that you would let the words sit in our ears, that they would work in our heads, that they would become words from you, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us what we need to know this week. Father, I pray that you would give us all things that are necessary to do your will today and every day. Amen. The reading today is Psalm 99. Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, mighty king, lover of justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those he called on his name, who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger to our wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The New Testament reading today is Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took him with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from a cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Word of God for the people of God. Um, I want to say something real quick um, about this engagement exercise that's in your bulletin. Um, I'm not big on, during Lent, asking people to fast. If that's what you want to do, that's great. My whole thing is, and I think that God would rather us create new habits. And so this is what these engagements are going to be. Engaging the scripture before I preach them, so that you're ready, you've allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the scriptures, and you've asked some of these questions that are in here, and, and next week, these are the scriptures that I'll be preaching on. So, uh, 40 days of this should be kind of fun. Also, <clears throat> if you need help meditating, 
on your on the back of your um, on, on the doodles and notes, there's a little QR code. Some of you may know what this is. Some of us may not. But you can scan it with your phone and you can see the meditations or you can follow the link. There will be meditations based on the gospel um, reading each week of, uh, of Lent. And you'll find that there as well. There's like almost 100 meditations I've put on there over the years. Anyway, um, just kind of some, 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 some things that I would encourage you, I would invite you to uh, start new habits and engage in the scriptures. And let's see how much uh, more of the sermons in, uh, touch you and engage with you as we move through the season of Lent. So, yeah, as I told the kids, you know, I, well, what is transfiguration? I looked it up in the dictionary. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the transfiguration as a change of form or appearance. And a synonym that was thrown in there was metamorphosis. An exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. What an amazing sight that had to have been. To see Jesus transfigured, metamorphosized. I may have just made that word up. Glorified. That had to have been terrifying. I mean, if I was one of the disciples, I'd go straight to the floor. You know? This morning, I want to engage this text by taking a deeper look into who was there to witness and participate in this amazing experience. And along with that, you know, there's the questions that come up with who wasn't there. Um, this is how I, this, you're going to hear some of my process of putting together a sermon, asking the questions, who's there, who's not there, putting myself in the story, engaging and in, in, in picturing myself there in that story. And that's how this sermon came about. So I ask these questions, but primarily we're going to focus on who was there to witness the transformation. I think it's uh, an important question to ask. Oh, let me back up. So, so the purpose of this sermon, that my thesis statement, if you want to write that down, because I always got to make sure that, that I have a thesis statement of a place to go where I'll be chasing rabbits. And you don't want that. Trust me, you don't want that. The purpose of this sermon this morning is to take this story and engage the question, what does God think when God thinks of me? What does God think when God thinks of me? I think it's an important question as we enter into the season of Lent, the ashes on the forehead, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You know, it's a, it's a somber time. It's a time where we recognize our sinful nature. And yet the question lingers, what does God think about when he thinks about me? Hopefully this sermon will help us engage that. I do find it strange that it was only witnessed by three apostles, Peter, James, and John, John being the self-proclaimed favorite disciple, he says that a lot in his gospel. I'm the favorite. Why were they the only ones there? 
and the crowds. What did they do with the crowds? Jesus, wherever Jesus went, there was crowds. Maybe, maybe crowds got lost when they started climbing the mountain, as we were doing with the kids, climbing the mountain. They're like, we're not going up that mountain. You guys have fun. I don't know. But as we look at, see, the scripture starts with, and a week later. And, and so I went, and I looked a week later, a week earlier. I, I looked at, at, at chapter 16 and what was going on, okay? What was going on in chapter 16 was it starts out with the, with the religious leaders saying, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, show us a sign. Does that sound familiar? Jesus was on another mountain at one point. The tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, show us a sign. And Jesus didn't reciprocate. And then the next movement is where Jesus is talking about his death. And then the last movement in chapter 16 is where Jesus is telling his disciples, to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Indicating you have to die to yourself so that you can live with me, live in me, and follow me. And taking up our cross is not something we like to think about. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, where were the scribes and the Pharisees as we jump back into this transfiguration on the mountain? That would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, here, this is who I am. But they weren't invited to the transfiguration party. They weren't there. Surely, though, that would have been all the proof they needed, or would it have been? Would they have even changed from that? I don't know. It's all speculation. But here we are, entering into the story as Jesus and his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, are hiking up the mountain. If only the three disciples knew what was waiting at the top of the mountain. What was, gonna, what was about to transpire before their very eyes. If only they knew. Let's look at Peter as he experienced this transfiguration experience. Here we have this ragtag, impulsive personality. He's a rag muffin. He was rough around the edges. Whatever he thought came out of his mouth, that was Peter. But yet he had this faith that none of the other disciples really exhibited. Peter was the only one that walked on the water. Hey, if that's you and not a ghost, call me out. I'll walk on the water to you. And he did. That's Peter. When Jesus said, who do you say I am? That's an interesting question. There are many ways of looking at it. And, and for the purposes of this sermon, maybe, just maybe, Jesus was asking because he really wanted to know. Do they see me? Do they see what I'm doing? Do they see what I'm doing for them? Do they see, them, do they see my mission? Maybe it was the human side of Jesus coming out. Who do you say I am? And, Jesus ha and Peter had the perfect answer. You are the Messiah. Come to save us. And Jesus was so impressed, he told Peter on that theology, on that rock, on that pillar, he would build his church. And I can imagine the other disciples thinking, 
I was going to say that. <laughs> Peter, like I'm sure the other disciples, seemed to be in shock over the whole sight of the bright light and extra people showing up and all this, that he just walked right up to the light. Maybe in shock, I don't know, but what he said was kind of interesting. Hey, y'all, this is kind of cool. We, we got you, Jesus, we got Elijah, we got Moses. Let's build houses for them. Let's build dwelling places for them so they can hang out with us forever. And then, as the Bible says, the cloud comes and encircles Jesus and Elijah and Moses and the voice, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Then they were afraid. Then they hit the ground. I can see them flat on, the, on their faces on the ground, terrified. And Jesus, as only Jesus can do, walked up to them, put his hand on their shoulders and said, don't be afraid. Next, we see James and John. We don't have a whole lot of information on their response other than the fact that they were terrified about the whole experience. We knew that. We don't have any words that they said that was recorded. We do know that they were brothers. We do know that Jesus nicknamed them. He gave them a nickname, Sons of Thunders, because they were always fighting. I have two siblings. I know what that's like. They're always arguing about something. Sons of thunder. We also know that John, as I said before, was a self-proclaimed favorite of Jesus, which is funny compared to a text that's not in our canon. It's not canonized, but it's a book that's attributed to Mary. And I read it in seminary. It's a good, interesting book. Mary writes in her book that she was the favorite. And so my imagination just goes crazy. I'm like, oh, more thunder. You know, you have Mary over here. I'm, I'm his favorite. And John's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm his favorite. No, no. No, I'm his favorite. That banter back and forth. So that's James and John. Whatever the case, if James and John said anything, it's not recorded. Perhaps they were in such a state of shock that there were just no words to say. They were speechless. Then you have Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, fully human, fully man, and I'm sure that his humanity was wrestling with his godliness. He knew his ministry on this earth was coming to an end, as we look at the chapter before, he's talking to his disciples about his death, which has had to be a really hard pill to swallow. Wait, no, this isn't the way this is supposed to happen. You're the Messiah. You're going to save us. You're going to die? That's not how this works. What is all this talk of death? It doesn't fit into our theology or our understanding of what God is doing here. We don't do that, do we? There are times in ministry when I ask the question, 
Am I making a difference in lives? Nope. I'm not Jesus. I'm not pretending. I don't even play him on TV. And yet ministry is hard. And there are times I ask myself the question, am I making a difference? I want to hear it. In full transparency, my love language is words of affirmation, so I bother my wife after sermons every week with all these questions, just pepper them. That's why she left me. Okay. She left for some sewing convention out. She's going to be gone until Monday. She needs a break from me. Bless her heart. But I wonder, I wonder if Jesus felt the same. Does anybody really understand why I'm here? Does anyone fully understand about my, what my job entails? Does anyone fully understand my mission? Then, boom, suddenly, Jesus finds himself standing in the radiant glory of his father and two extra dudes. Talk about an affirmation of Jesus' mission and call. What's more, the two guys that showed up in the glory of God, Moses and Elijah, they knew what it was like to question their call to lead and to question what God, what, uh, what, uh, have the question of what good was coming out of their leadership. I mean, yeah, and, and, and question what God thought about them. They questioned that too, I'm sure. You have Moses. He led the children of Israel for 40 years. He was with them when they were crying and moaning and complaining. He was with them when they were dancing and celebrating. 40 years with these people. And then, at the end of 40 years, God says, thank you, but your services are no longer needed. And he took him up to a high mountain and he got to look at the promised land. And there he died without seeing the promised land. That had to have been hard. And I wrestle with the question, so what, did, what happened when he went to heaven? Because Jesus, the Bible is very implicit, very explicit that Moses went to heaven. And I, at first I asked myself the question, boy, I bet, I bet Moses had a lot of questions for God. And then I thought, wait a minute, he's in the presence of God. What does any of this matter? And now I picture God wrapping his arms around Moses, saying, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Suddenly, all the questions melted away. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Hebrew Bible. He wasn't afraid of no one or nothing. The Bible talks about him bursting into the king's throne room and poking him in the chest and saying, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Whoo, that's boldness. That's scary. King could have said, off with his head. And while the king was still stunned, I'm sure, Elijah spins around on his heels and goes into God's witness protection program. 
he goes off the grid. Fast forward, give or take, almost three years. At the end of the day, God accepted Elijah's sacrifice, and of course, Baal didn't do anything. Big surprise there. At the end of the day, all the prophets of Baal were dead, and there was a queen that was so angry, she promised, I'm going to kill this guy. Then Elijah was afraid. You see that? He was brave all the way up to that point, and then he's up in the mountain, he's crying, I'm the only one, God! Why does everything fall on my shoulders? Hmm. Well, we all know the affirmation for Elijah. Chariot of fire took him to heaven without seeing death. So here's where we bring it all home. Because as, as I look out here into the congregation, I see Christ followers. I see priesthood, I see a priesthood of believers, every one of you. We are all called in the ministry, every one of us. That's, that's, why, that's what it means to take up our cross. And I see it in big ways, and I see it in small ways. Each and every one of you do something, and it amazes me as your pastor that you step up to that role as minister. And sometimes it's really hard. You know, sometimes it's hard when you're on the phone with customer service and you've, you've been on hold for three hours and the person on the other line really doesn't really care much about your problem. It's hard to be a minister, isn't it? It's hard to minister when things aren't going right in our lives. It's hard to minister when we feel like we're the only one. So here's where we bring it home. Here's a question I have for each one of you. What do you need to hear from God right now? Right here, right now, what do you need to hear from God? What is the one thing God can do or say to you that will bring metaphor, metamorphosis or transfiguration in your life? I know where we can start. We can start with the promise that Jesus made as he was ascending into heaven. He made it to his disciples and it stays with us today. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Let us pray. Oh, loving God, you call each one of us, each and every one of us, into service, into your kingdom. And it's not easy. None of this is easy. Being part of your kingdom on this earth is hard. We do know that Jesus experienced this and oh so much more while he was on this earth. God, may we cling to you. The author and finisher of our faith May we cling to you our strength. May we cling to you who sees us and loves us no matter what. 
And as we enter into the Lenten season, God, that's what I think you want us to know is you still love us in all of our dirtiness and all of our sin and all of our selfishness. You still love us. And so as we spend a time of 40 days introspectively, may we remember that. God, as I'm here praying right now, I know that there are those here in this congregation and that there are those watching online, not able to be here today, that are dealing with life. So God, I, I want to create some space right here for those to bring their petitions to you and lay it at your feet. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.